hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to find Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Uh, if you'll find Romans chapter 3, we are going to continue uh, our study in this wonderful letter to the Roman church. And as we study it together, we find ourselves in chapter number 3, verse number 21. This uh, specific passage of Scripture is a transition passage. We are moving out of the context of condemnation and over into the context of salvation. And when we get to this uh, section, it's a very fascinating section because it runs from chapter 3, verse number 21. It goes all the way through chapter 8, verse number 39. So that whole section there is paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of Paul communicating to the church at Rome about the subject of salvation. He has dealt so heavily in the arena of condemnation. And he has said, in essence, everybody, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, it doesn't matter what your economic status is, it does not matter who your parents are, everyone is guilty before God. And he needed to make that clarification simply because mankind was doing everything in his power to fix what he had messed up. And mankind wants to fix what mankind has messed up in relationship to God by creating religions. And these religions that man has created across our culture and across our world today needs to make sure that they line up with the Word of God. And if they don't line up with the Word of God, they're just words and they're not from God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to fix anything if God's already fixed everything. And by the way, God's already fixed everything. Reminds me of a story of a colonel in the army uh, who was in his office and a private knocked on his door and wanting to impress the, the, the private. The colonel picked up the phone real quick and he started talking as if he was on the phone with the president. The colonel said, yes, Mr. President, I'll get right on it right away, Mr. President. You've got the right man for the job, Mr. President. Thank you for thinking of me. Uh, by the way, give the First Lady my best regards. And he hung up the phone. He looked up at the private, and he says, What do you want? And the private looked at him and says, Nothing, sir. I'm just here to fix your phone. That's what happens when mankind tries to fix what God's already taken care of. He makes a fool of himself. And brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you and guests that are here today. You cannot fix the sin problem. Jesus has already fixed it. He fixed it on Calvary's cross. And so when you come to this teaching, you run into a word, and we're going to see it today, and it's the word justification. Now this word justification can be broken down into three major points. And when you look at this text, when you look at the fact that when Paul wrote this section, beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, in verses 21 to verse 31, he's going to deal with the doctrine of justification. That is, the teaching of justification. And then he's going to come back in chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, and he's going to give us illustrations of justification illustrations of justification. And then number three, the third thing he's going to do is he's going to come back in chapter 5 in verses 1 through 21 and he's going to talk about the benefits of justification. The benefits of justification. So this morning, I want us to look at this first part, the doctrine of justification. And as we look at this doctrine of justification, I 
I want us to clearly understand that there's no matter how hard we try, Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says this, there is no one that's righteous. No, not even one. No matter how hard we try, we cannot get out of this situation. We are not righteous before God outside of Jesus Christ. When some people hear this, they have this uh, pessimistic view of humanity and say, Preacher, you have been preaching on this issue of condemnation for weeks after week after week after weeks, and weeks have turned to months. I'm so tired of hearing about sin. I'm so tired of hearing about judgment. Just stop talking about it because there is some good things about mankind. We've made some progress in our world. We've made some progress in general knowledge. We've made some progress in medicine. We've made some progress in technology. Uh, there's even some places like the United Arab Emirates, it looks like paradise. It, we've even made progress in Georgia football. Can I get a witness? There's progress. However, as we know, throughout human civilization, there has been some uh, development. But the bottom line is simply this. Even though civilization may have some development, human nature is always the same. As a matter of fact, when you look at human nature, you see that human nature is not getting any better. It's actually getting worse. The sins of today are the same as the sins of 2,000 years ago. To God, human progress is secondary. Let me say that again. In God's eyes, in God's sight, human progress is secondary. What matters to God is that we get right with Him and have a relationship with Him. Which means this, sin matters to God. To God, human progress being secondary and sin mattering to God, people have tried their best to improve themselves in many ways. You look around today, and, I'm, and, and I agree with this. People have worked hard. There are hard-working people in our culture today. People have studied diligently. There are some diligent studying going on today. There's even individuals that do good deeds. The Salvation Army ringing their bell that's at Christmas to, for us to give money and all the many wonderful opportunities to do good deeds, improving uh, their manner of lifestyle and so forth and so on. There's so many good things that this culture is doing. However, you can study hard and you can still go to hell. You can work hard and still go to hell. You can be educated and be the smartest one in the room and still go to hell. And the reason why is because we cannot help ourselves. Only God can help us. And the Bible says that God, who is a merciful God, has reached down uh, in His great sovereignty and in His great love for us. And He uses a term in this passage of Scripture, and it is the term justified. Justified is the word the Bible uses to describe the action from God. Let me show you what He says in verse number 24. Chapter 3, verse number 24, notice what the Bible says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption uh, that is in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you guests and those that are here listening all around the world 
Jesus has done everything to put us in right relationship with God. It is our responsibility to recognize that we cannot justify ourselves by practicing religion. The only way to be justified before God, and Paul's going to get there in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 9, you've got to come to Jesus Christ by faith and receive Him to be your Lord and Savior. So he says here in this passage of Scripture, he's going to talk about this doctrine of justification. Let's look at the, at the total text this morning, and then I want to point out three details concerning justification. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 21. He says, but now, thank God for the conjunction but. We have dealt so many weeks and months on condemnation. He says, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is, may, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all uh, and upon all of them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, that at this time His righteousness that he might be justified and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? Uh, is it, ex it is excluded. By what law? By the law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not... Also of the Gentiles, yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want you to notice with me three basic points in regards to Paul's teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as, as Paul communicates to the church at Rome about this issue of justification. He first informs us that being justified offers us a new relationship with God, number one, apart from the law. Apart from the law. Did you see what happened in verse number 21? Let's look at it again. Hope you have your pens, pencils, lipstick, or mascara. I would underline some key words here. The Bible says, but now, the righteousness of God without the law. Justification is without the law. It is apart from the law. Verse 21 begins with the words, but now. This marks a great turning point. Paul has talked about man's desperate situation under the law, but now there is wonderful hope uh, that we find in Jesus Christ. In the past, there was only guilt and guilty feelings and judgment and condemnation, but now 
There's forgiveness of sins under the love that Jesus Christ has given to us. In the past, there was horrible judgment. There was terrible wrath. But now, there is saving grace. Paul switches, if you would, from the realm of law to that of the realm of grace. It is a great turning point that divides even B.C. from A.D. Not only in human history, but in all of one's life. I'm telling you what he says, but now you can be saved. I want you to look at verse number 21. He goes on to say this. He says, but now the righteousness of God is without the law is now made manifested. That is, the word manifest means to be known. The key word here in this text is the righteousness of God. This word, this righteousness of God is apart from the law. It is without the law. In fact, God began this work of salvation far before law was ever introduced. When you think about the laws of God and you think about the grace of God, you think about grace came first. Grace was demonstrated to us as God called one man, Abraham, and he promised that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was credited unto him as righteousness. That is to say, he had faith that God was going to keep his promise, that God was going to exercise this grace, that God was going to confirm the promise that he'd given to Abraham. And he did just that in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. Hundreds of years later, The Jewish law was given through Moses. Since then, God has spoke to his people through the prophets and in many various ways to say this, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, salvation is coming. And finally, when that virgin, the virgin Mary, when God spoke to her and said, you will conceive that of the Holy Ghost, God in his sovereignty breaks through time and history and that precious little girl who loved God with all of her heart gave birth to the Messiah, 100% man and 100% God. We find the righteousness of God now walks on this earth during the time of Jesus and the righteousness of God in references speaking of the life that Jesus lived. A righteous life. A life that was without sin. A life that was full of sacrifice. A life that went to Calvary. A life that spread out his, his arms and his, he gave himself his body on the cross to die in our place. The righteousness of God refers to the historical death of Jesus Christ and its effects upon mankind. I stand before you today only made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says here in the text, this righteousness of God has nothing to do with the law. I didn't keep the law to get saved. You can't keep the law to get saved. There's only one person that fulfilled the law, and that was Jesus Christ. So in looking at this passage of scripture he says there the righteousness of God apart from the law is testified by the law itself and the prophets that is the Old Testament testifies to the fact 
that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the righteousness of God. This means that there is this indisputable evidence in the Word of God that God has carried out His salvation plan throughout history that has culminated in Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world. We find here that this beautiful picture of justification is being apart from the law. We find that this righteousness didn't come as an alternative to the law. It was planned from the beginning. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, we'll get to it in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, he says that this, this righteousness of God in the Old Testament, it was hidden in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, it has been revealed. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is the righteousness of God. And this righteousness of God has come to us apart from the law. And by us coming to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, we cannot stand before God and boast of us keeping the law. No, it is only by the grace of God that we are saved. Paul then informs us that being justified offers us a new relationship with God, number two, apart from favoritism. Apart from favoritism. Do you see what happened in verse 22? Look at what the scripture says. The Bible says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of, of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission, that is the forgiveness of sins, that are present through the forbearance of God, the patience of God. To declare, I say, that this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying very plainly in response to justification, this offers us a new relationship with God apart from favoritism. When you look at this text, you see that by faith, by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. Last week we finished up uh, the text in, in this uh, condemnation section where Paul just simply says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. The whole world stands guilty before God. Jew, Gentile, everyone. We all fall short. God himself, though, has taken the initiative and offers acceptance to anyone and everyone as a free gift. Whosoever will, there is no distinction. Whoever wants salvation can come to Jesus. Anyone. John 3, 16, John put it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for the world. And anybody can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've had people ask me through the course of my ministry, they say, Pastor, 
you don't know what I've done. You don't know how awful of a person that I am. You don't understand who I am or what I've done. You're right, I don't. But God does. God knows who you are. God sees who you are. God knows what you've done. And the Word of God tells us here in this passage of Scripture that God doesn't have favorites. There's no favoritism with God. Everyone, whosoever will, can be saved. As a matter of fact, when you look at this passage of Scripture and see that there is no distinction, there is no uh, favoritism in relationship with God, there are three key words that are critical to understanding this type of teaching here found in this passage of Scripture. Number one, the first word is the word we're looking at, justification. Justification. Did you see what happened in verse 24? Look at the text again. He says this, being justified freely by his grace. The word justified is a very fascinating word. It's a legal term, and it means to declare righteous. To acquit, if you would. It's the opposite of condemnation. Where Paul has spent his time writing in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this issue of condemnation and being condemned, he now stops in his tracks and says, because Jesus Christ is the Messiah, because Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross as the sinless Son of God, because Jesus Christ willingly gave his blood, whosoever comes to Jesus can be forgiven of that condemnation and can be forgiven and justified and declared righteous before a holy God. It's like a pardon, but it's not a pardon. You see, a pardon only deals with the forgiveness of a penalty. But justified, being justified is more than that. It has an additional positive aspect, which means confirming a righteous status. Your sins has been expunged before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been washed clean through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The verdict justified implies... You may come, you are welcome, you are loved, you can enter into my presence. In fact, Jesus talked about the fact that we can we go to God, we can call him Abba, Father. A precious term, Daddy. You may think you're a nobody, but God says you're a somebody. If you're born again, if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you are justified. You see, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to communicate to you today that it is far more than it's just as if you'd never sinned. You were seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. You were with God in the heavenlies as a born-again child of God. You see, if God even demanded one-tenth of a percent from you, then nobody could be saved. But Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, paid 100% of the price so that you could be justified, so that you could be declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He says, being justified, watch this. I, lo- I love what he says here in the text. We can't, we can't leave this out. I can't run by it. He says, freely by his grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to merit it. But out of God's great love for mankind, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when mankind sinned, and by the way, when you look at the, at the will of man and you see that Adam willfully sinned, the Bible says Eve was deceived, but man willfully sinned. That is to say, he knew the truth of God, he ignored the truth of God, and he did things his way. He proclaimed himself as self-righteous. In the midst of that, they died. And death was pronounced in such a way where the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Because of what Adam done, we now have inherited his sin nature, and generation after generation after generation after generation all the way all the way back to Adam to the present day mankind stands guilty before God and can only be justified by the free grace that God offers all men number two there's a second word here verse 24 and that word is redemption Look at what the Bible says. Look, this is a very interesting passage. He goes on to say, not only were we justified freely by His grace, but this came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here we find a word, redemption. This word tells us how this justification came about. Verse 24 says that it came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now the word redemption is a commercial term. It was used in the slave markets of the day. In those times, a slave could not get out of slavery by him or herself. They couldn't do it. They had to be set free by someone else who paid the full legal price for that individual. In the Old Testament, the word redeemed describes the Israelites in relationship to them being released from uh, Egypt and also being released from Babylon. They were redeemed. A redeemed people are people who have had the penalty of sin paid. The price that needed to be paid in order to get them out of the death sentence in relationship to being separated from God. There had to be some type of redemption. Somebody had to pay it. He tells us here in the text that that payment came in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ redeemed. He redeemed those that come to know him as personal Savior and Lord. Now, we're not universalists. Universalists will simply say this. Universalists will say, well, you know what? You just take enough time. You just just live your life. Go sow your wild oats. Go do your thing. Go practice whatever you want to practice. Because God is loving, because Jesus Christ is the Messiah, eventually everything's going to be okay and everybody's going to accept the truth and eventually you're, you're going to be fine. So don't worry about it. We're not universalists. 
That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear in relationship to what Paul is talking about here. He, he, says, he says very clearly in this text in relationship to the grace of God and the redemption of God and the justification of God and God there's being no difference. He just simply says, you've got to come to Jesus. You can't just live your, the way you want to live and one day everything's going to be hunky-dunky. It ain't going to be hunky-dunky. I know, I know that's, that's a southern thing. I know that's not professional. But the bottom line is this. It's truth. It's truth. It's truth from the position of science. The second law of thermodynamics simply says everyone starts in a, in a state of order and runs to a state of chaos. I got five kids. I can testify to the fact that the second law of thermodynamics is true. You got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Bless God, they are born and they just can't be any more perfect. How in the world could they have a sin nature? They can't, they're perfect, they can't have it. And then what happens? They're crying. You think they need a diaper, you go, they don't, they're, not, they're not wet, they're not poo-poo, they ain't go TT. It ain't that. So you check them and see if they're they're not hungry. And then you notice something. You notice that when you went to get the wipes and you walked away, they started crying. You come back and they stopped. You walk away, they cry. You walk away, they, they, they stop. Something's going on here. All of a sudden, you begin to realize, they're manipulating me. And bless God, that manipulation happens for the next 19 plus years. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I'm telling a, a, a real deal in relationship to the nature of mankind. We are born sinners. And the only way for us to have this Sin forgiven is there must be an atonement. There must be a sacrifice of atonement. And this sacrifice of atonement came through this issue through the person of Jesus Christ. He redeemed us. Who did he redeem? He redeemed those that trusted in him as personal Savior and Lord. He didn't, listen, listen to me. This is just the facts. In relationship to Jesus Christ's redemption, while Jesus died for the sins of the world, his redemption only is applied to those that have received Christ as Savior. So, I mean, I, I don't like that. I, 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 think, I think in response that there's the sovereignty of God and you can't do anything about it. I just ask you to do this one thing. I just ask you to start back in the beginning of the Bible and just begin to mark the times where you see man having a free will. Mark the times where you see man exercising his will. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that God, in his sovereignty, could have made us robots. What I mean by that is, I don't, I'm not talking about being full of electronics. He could created us as flesh beings that had one mindset. And that one mindset was to just worship him, live for him, please him. But he didn't do that, did he? In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. 
Or there was the tree, if you would, of every tree that they could eat of, except for that one tree. There was one tree, he says, I'm, I love you so much, I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose to eat of this tree, but the moment you do, you will die. Man loves us enough to give us a free will. And while his sovereignty exists and he knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, does God know he's God? Yes, he's God. But he gives us the free will to receive him as personal Savior and Lord. And we must act upon that. According to the scripture, the Bible is very clear. We respond to that by faith. Number three, there's a third word. We can't skip this word. I've got to hurry. I'm almost out of time. Third word, <clears throat> the third word we cannot ignore is the word propitiation. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith. Through faith in the blood, in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The word forbearance of God, that phrase is talking about God's patience. He is a patient God. He is a long-suffering God. But we talked about last week in the book of Genesis, God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Paul is very clear in, re in response to this issue of propitiation. Speaking of the redemption that comes freely by His grace, it was very costly. It cost God a great deal. This communicates, if you would, uh, this issue that, that God had this righteous anger that had to be satisfied. It was righteous in the fact that God doesn't get angry the way that we get angry. When you see the wrath of God, it is the perfect wrath of God without, without sin. So how could God exercise his wrath and not be sinful? We, we, get, we get upset, and the Bible says, be angry and sin not, because we're not God. We have this propitiation or we have this leaning or we have this, we have this uh, innate ability inside our self-serving selves to go to the, the negative naturally. We always go to the negative. And so in going to the negative naturally, when we get angry, it manifests itself in wrath in the negative sense. When God in his righteousness gets angry, it is a righteous indignation that is without sin. And so when I don't understand that, well, I just want to be mindful. I just would love for you to be mindful of this. If you understood everything about God, he wouldn't be God. And so he gives us in this text through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's this English word that he's issuing to us. It's the word propitiation. It means that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous anger of God so that mankind could stand before God redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ that was freely given to him, justifying mankind by faith and faith alone. The sacrifice of atonement originated in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14. 
We, f- we see that throughout the course of the Old Testament to the New, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, the Bible is very clear that it says, Jesus Christ, as the propitiation for our sin, paid the price once for all. He's not going to do it anymore. He only had to do it one time. Jesus only had to die one time. God demonstrated his righteousness through the cross of Jesus, and whoever wants forgiveness of sin can find it in the blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul has informed us that being justified offers a new relationship of, of God apart from favoritism, apart from the law. And then he comes to the third thing that he wants us to know about justification, and that is this. He says being justified offers us a new relationship with God apart from achievements. Notice what he says in verse number 27. He goes on to say in the text, he says, where's the boasting? Where do we boast then? It is excluded. By, by what law is it excluded? Is it, is it excluded by the law of works? No. But by the law of faith. No, it's not excluded at all. But we have the law of faith. Now, remember what faith is. Faith is putting your trust in, in, in present reality in something. Putting your faith in something. In our present reality. Today, I I would say, you are exercising faith by sitting in that chair. You are exercising faith by sitting in that chair. You are putting your trust in something. What the Bible is teaching us here in this text, in relationship to being justified, is apart from achievement. He says, we cannot boast because we have not put our trust. We haven't put our trust in the law. But we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, and we've done that by faith. Not by putting our trust in a thing, but putting our trust in a person. Jesus paid the sin price for us as Christians. He paid the price for us. So the Apostle Paul uh, taught that both, both Jews and Gentiles were sinners before God, and salvation is only possible by faith. And it's made available to whoever will, whosoever will. This would uh, have seemed shocking to the Jews that would, read, would have read this letter and also the Romans because of their, self, uh, their, their selfishness that they had. So Paul anticipates these, these questions. He anticipates these questions in relationship to justification by faith alone. And the first one is this. Where's the boasting? Where is our boasting? Our boasting is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the law. We did not do anything to get this salvation. Jesus did it all by his grace. No effort of ours. He paid the price 100%. I simply came by faith and put my faith and trust in Jesus. Number two, the second question. Is God the God of the Jews only? You see that there in verse 29? He, He anticipates this question. Uh, He says there, uh, is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Uh, 
we see there in the fact he anticipates this question in relationship to the fact the Jews were extremely conscientious of their special relationship with the covenant of God and thought themselves to be in a better position than the um, uh, Gentiles. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were in opposition to the Jews at this moment in time because they said God had looked over them and had forsaken them. And what Paul is saying here is, look, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. You need to be focusing on faith. God is the God of the Jew. He's the God of the Gentile, which means this. God is the God of all. He's the God of the whole entire world. He will justify the circumcision. That's the Jews. He will justify the circumcision by faith. And he'll justify the uncircumcision through that same faith. There is no difference with God. Just as you Jews have put your faith in God, in the law, just as you put your faith in these things, that's not going to save you. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that same faith, whether you're circumcised or not, regardless of what religious practice you've done, you must be born again. And then the third question, and I close, I'm out of time. He says, well, what do we do then? Do we then nullify the law by this faith? See there in verse 31? He says, God forbid. Yes, we establish the law. We do not abolish the law. We know simply that the law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And because it was fulfilled... By Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me show you this really quick. Uh, Romans chapter 10. Notice what the scripture says. Romans chapter 10. Verse number 4. For Christ is the end. The word the end in this text means to be fulfilled. For Christ is the end. He is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone. That believe it. Here's the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Jesus has done it all. I love that old hymn we used to sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Can I ask you this? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, dear friend, you are what the scripture says, you have been justified by faith. You say, I've never done that, Pastor. If I wanted to do that, if I wanted to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, what, what, what would I do? I don't want you to believe my word. I want you to believe God's word. If you're still there in Romans chapter 10, after he says that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law for the righteousness for everyone that believes, he goes on to say, in verse number 9, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, not in the form of works, but in the demonstration of faith. Have you ever done that? If you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity today. Could we bow with a word of prayer as we close this worship service and prepare for the next hour if you're here today and you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior I don't care where you're at you may be in this worship center you may be listening in your car you may be listening somewhere around the world maybe you're here today I want to invite you right where you're at to say something like this to the Lord by faith Would you say this to Jesus? Would you say, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by faith, I repent of my sins. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.